Hear that? It's the sound of you catching up on all the latest and greatest fintech news, trends, and updates thanks to Streetworthy, Yield Street's bi-weekly newsletter. Stay in the know with CEO Melinda Mahiri as he takes a closer look at what's happening in the fintech space, then breaks down what each story could mean for investors like you. Give your portfolio the edge it deserves and subscribe to Streetworthy on LinkedIn today. Welcome to The Yield, the official podcast of Yield Street. Every week, we bring you the latest market insights across our asset classes and products from subject matter experts. Our aim is to break the outdated mold of investing and help you add financial fuel to your ambitions through innovative investing products and strategies, typically unavailable to most investors. Realize your next level with The Yield. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. The views you are about to hear do not necessarily reflect the views of Yield Street. This podcast is intended to be strictly informational and is not intended to be and should not be construed as a research report, investment advice, or the offer or sale of securities or any investment product. Now, let's get into the show. A warm welcome and thank you so much to everyone who has joined us today and for taking the time out for our webinar on the Yield Street Prism Fund, All Your Questions Answered. My name is Lindsay Fielding. I'm our head of marketing and growth here at Yield Street. Today, I am joined by Michael Weiss, our founder and president, as well as the chief investment officer of the Yield Street Prism Fund, as well as Jimmy Pandy, who is our head of strategic finance and the CFO for the Yield Street Prism Fund. So as many of you may have seen, the Prism Fund will be opening for additional investment this coming Monday, June 15th. And our agenda for today is to answer some of the most frequently asked questions we've received from you, our investor base, since the fund first launched back at the end of February. And at the end of this webinar, we will open for a live Q&A for the last 10 or 15 minutes. So please feel free throughout the discussion. There's a Q&A button at the bottom of your screen. Please submit your questions and we'd love to answer them towards the end of the discussion. So without further ado, let's dive into the content and get started on our discussion. So first and foremost, we've received questions from a lot of investors wanting to understand more about why Yield Street introduced this product in the first place. Some of you may have seen we've typically done individual investments in specific asset classes, and this is our first fund product to launch on the platform. So to kick things off, Michael, would you like to handle this this question and dive right in? Sure, I'd love to. Thank you, Lindsay. And thank you, everybody who's joining. Really appreciate it. It's great to have a chance to talk more about the Yield Street Prison Fund and to be able to answer a lot of people's questions as they think about how the Yield Street Prison Fund can help them achieve their investment goals. So, Lindsay, I think um, if it's all right with you, I actually want to take just a quick step back and talk about where Yield Street's Prism Fund fits within the broader context of Yield Street and what we set out to do. So at Yield Street, our broader mission has been to help investors find a better way to invest. And we've long felt for a while that the investment process and the typical investor journey was inherently broken. And what we mean by that is historically access to these products such that Yield Street has typically offered since its inception alternative investments, namely those that we believe have potentially higher yields and lower market correlation, 
have been generally off limits to the typical individual investor. And that is why we founded this company a little bit more than five years ago to provide access to these opportunities to those who had previously been left out of the game. Now, when Yield Street decided that we want to solve for that, how did we do that, right? So here we are five years later, we've built an incredible digitally native platform that helps open up the access to our investors in a fractional way and in sizes that are easy for you with a user experience that is technology forward and I, and I believe second to none. But one thing that we've consistently found over the years is that it's been difficult for investors to create a portfolio that is diversified. And that is for a number of reasons. And what we wanted to do was try and find a solution that we can help someone access a product that would automatically have a multi-asset approach. And for us, the Yield Street Prison Fund is a natural progression to do that, right? Because for those of you who have been using Yield Street over the last number of years, you'll notice that the way for you to achieve a level of diversification was to consistently invest in different transactions and to build a portfolio on your own. But a lot of people have voiced an opinion that, hey, we want to make an allocation and be able to be invested across different asset classes or different investments at the same time. And that is exactly why we started the Prison Fund. So the reality is that the team, myself, and all those involved at Yield Street in making the Prison Fund a reality are incredibly excited to finally give people an opportunity with a single allocation in one investment to get access to a number of opportunities that are in that fund. So instead of taking your $20,000 and being put in one deal, you'll have the benefit of the diversification and the total assets within the fund. Now we think that that's a really attractive opportunity and it will help you distribute your risk. Ultimately, and in summary, the Yield Street Prison Fund allows us to further our mission. It's a novel investing opportunity. It has income generation and it will help everybody continue on this mission of a path to financial independence. And Michael, I think it would be helpful to zone in a little more specifically on the Yield Street Prism Fund. So specifically covering what is the investment strategy of the Yield Street Prism Fund and how will we be managing the fund at Yield Street? Jumping right into the meat of it, Lindsay, I see. <laughs> so I think that's a loaded question. If it's all right with you, I'm going to break it up into a couple of parts. So if I, if I think about it, it's uh, let's talk about the investment goals broadly of the Yield Street Prison Fund. Let's talk about what are we actually going to be investing in. And let's talk about what are the phases of the fund and how do we think about the fund over a period of time. So the investment goals of the fund are, are simple, they're straightforward, and there are three components to it. So first and foremost, this Yield Street Prison Fund is focused on income generation. We aim to provide our investors with a consistent and reliable stream of passive income through the recurring and expected distributions, as we'll talk about more later. The second piece is a total return. So on the one hand, while we do look for opportunities that are gonna consistently generate continued passive income, we are also very interested in some opportunities that may have a different cash flow stream, but provide a very attractive total return story. And at the end of the day, what we're trying to do here is balance between the most attractive risk reward return while also providing consistent passive income to our investors. The third and arguably most important is downside protection. We are here to take on the least amount of risk we can 
to achieve the goals that we have for the fund and total return and passive income. So that is very broadly what it is that we set out to do with this Yield Street Prison Fund. Now, the second piece I wanted to touch on is what are we actually investing in? So the primary objective of the fund is to create a vehicle where we have many investment positions across a variety of asset classes. Now, I feel that what we're mostly going to see are the asset classes that Yield Street customers have become accustomed to. So think about art finance, commercial real estate, litigation finance, and other alternative asset classes in which Yield Street has been focused on and will continue to grow into. Now, at the same time, during the fund ramp phase and over the life of the fund, we are also going to have investments in tradable securities. And we'll talk a little bit about why those tradable securities are important. But as a management team, Yield Street Management has identified several options on the tradable securities that are going to be yielding more than money market would now, but also meeting the considerations and satisfying our short-term needs for the present fund. Now, two types of those securities could be bank preferreds or mortgage bonds. Now, there are going to be higher yielding securities, Lindsay, but they're generally going to require a longer investment horizon, potentially more volatility and more risk. Now, our objective with the Yield Street Securities portfolio is not to generate a handsome return. It's to solve for some of the other components of the fund, which I'll segue into. So the next topic that we wanted to talk about is what are the phases of the fund? And I think it's important to understand the phase of the fund because it also helps people have a much more holistic view of how we're going to be investing in accordance with those phases of the fund. So in summary, there are three phases of a fund. There is a ramp phase, there is an investment phase, and there is an end of fund phase. So in the ramp phase, consider it the time that you continue raising capital and you're launching your fund and you're starting to make investments and over time you'll build a bigger portfolio. Now the investment phase is going to be the bulk of the life of the fund when a lot of your capital is invested and your portfolio is maturing and generating the returns hopefully that you set out. And the end of the fund is going to be the, the last part of the fund when the fund is running off. Now during the ramp up, period, as you gain more capital, your restrictions will lighten. But there are diversification requirements and other regulatory requirements of the fund until you get to a ramped up period. Accordingly, potentially up to 50% of the capital for a period of time is going to be invested in tradable securities. As we're getting new investments and putting them to work, we don't want the cash to sit as a cash drag, meaning money raised but isn't generating. So we're going to limit that by investing in tradable securities. Now, at the bulk of the fund, during the investment phase, I expect that 80 to 90% of the fund's capital is going to be invested in our illiquid private credit investments, similar to the asset classes that I mentioned just a minute ago. And the remainder of the fund's assets will be liquid either cash or tradable securities, and that will help us keep the appropriate amount of cash to make that next investment or cover our responsibilities that we have. Now, the end of fund phase is going to be the last phase of the fund, and that is when our private credit investments are amortizing and getting to the point of the end of their life, and ultimately, that's when investors are going to start seeing a return of their capital and our principal being repaid. And during that time, we will also liquidate whatever tradable securities we have and pay back our investors as well. And if I may take another minute, I think it's helpful to talk about what we've already invested in the fund to help people 
get a sense of A, how we've behaved in this early phase of the fund, but also importantly to see how the thesis of the fund is really rounding out. So currently there are three investments, private credit investments in the fund. One is in art, one is in real estate, and one is in legal finance. So the real estate investment, for example, is a participation in a first mortgage loan in Hollywood, California. It's a 24-month deal, and it has a coupon of 8.75%. The art investment is a delayed draw investment, and it is going to return 8.25%. And finally, the Legal finance investment is a commitment of $2.8 million, which we've closed and committed and is going to be funded in the very near future. And now that investment is going to have a participation of a fixed coupon of 14%. Now, what's even more interesting, for example, about the legal finance investment is that it has two interesting components. One is we've been able to secure principal protections. We've gotten an insurance policy from an A- rated insurance company. And the second is beyond the 14%, if the litigation finance investments perform well, then we even have further participation and upside from those potential investments. So my point is that we're seeing great opportunities. We're continuing to double down on our mission to bring different asset classes, different types of investments so that we could hopefully build a nice diversified portfolio. And as time goes on, we'll continue that thesis and we'll have more of our capital invested in the private illiquid credit. So thanks for all of that detail, Michael. That's really helpful. And again, if anyone on the webinar has further questions about the fund strategy or phases of the fund, please drop them in the Q&A and, and we can pick them up towards the end. Another topic that I think is important to dive into that may be on some investors' minds is we initially launched the Yield Street Prism Fund really right before the coronavirus pandemic hit. So I wanted to take an opportunity, Michael, to touch on if coronavirus has impacted anything within the Yield Street Prism Fund or our, what we are considering to invest in. Definitely a um, very appropriate and topical question to ask. So I would break it up into two parts. One is, so right out of the gate, coronavirus hits. This is something very novel. I don't believe there's anybody that could have predicted a coronavirus situation, and it behaved very differently, right? So our first approach, sort of right when coronavirus started getting serious, more broadly across the whole investment team was, let's take a step back. Let's take stock, understand the market, see what's going to develop, what are the risks that are going to be present. As a lender, I would say the biggest challenge during the heat of the coronavirus epidemic is understanding what is value, right? So we're, all, we're often talk about, Lindsay, loan to value across a lot of our transactions. If value changes, then the basis of our loan changes. So it was very important for me and for the team to be able to take a step back. I instructed the team, there is no pressure to put out any transactions. There is no pressure to close deals. We're going to take stock and understand what the market is going to look like and how best to respond. So... I will say that while I did communicate that we were, quote, risk on and we were looking for good investments, we were trying to be very conservative in our approach to what we'd be willing to invest in. And as a result of that, for about eight weeks, we did not do a new investment. Now, over the last five weeks, there's been a lot of thawing in the market across different asset classes, and there are a lot of opportunities that started to come out. Now, there's an interesting sort of development going on in the market. In past cycles, 
a lot of people talk about distressed opportunities. In the private credit market, we haven't seen a lot of that yet. I think that part of the reason for that is, number one, the government put a trillion and a half dollars into the markets, and that's really helped in a lot of ways, whether it's PPP, Main Street Lending, or in public markets, create more confidence. The second point is the court systems are closed. So what could people realistically do by way of enforcement on the private credit side for many of these lenders? And the third, which is, is you know, connected to the second, is a lot of government guidance has been to lenders to try and find solutions with, with their borrowers. So I think because of the legal system effectively being shuttered and the government pressure for lenders to help, you're not seeing private credit deals being blown out the door at super distressed opportunities. However, I do feel that come the end of the third quarter and the beginning of the fourth quarter, there will be distress in the market. There will be interesting opportunities. I think that's a whole nother discussion to have maybe at a later time. But as it relates to the Old Street Prison Fund, what we saw back in 2008, 2009, and I, together with many of my colleagues in sort of similar positions, feel is that as we're already seeing traditional banks not stepping up to the plate for new financings or for refinancings for borrowers. So what that means is, and what it's meant in the past, is that non-bank lenders have a real opportunity to win. And that's exactly where Yield Street participates. So being able to gain access to better quality deal flow at hopefully better pricing is what I expect, right? So pre-corona, for those of us who have been investing on Yield Street, you've seen over time yields coming down. And I can tell you from my seat, and from my portfolio manager seats, we were fighting over 25, 50, 75 basis points. Now the same discussions could be 150 to 300 basis points. And that's a really big difference. So I think for us, Lindsay, we started at, a, at an incredible time. I will say, in some ways, it's interesting. I remember it took, us, it took us a lot longer than we expected to be able to launch the prison fund. And in some ways, we were frustrated by it. But having been able to have, you know, of course, hindsight's 2020, starting effectively in middle and after Corona and being able to build that profile, I think as a fund, ourselves and other colleagues in the industries are going to perform a lot better than they may have expected to because of those reasons. Thanks for that perspective. That's super helpful. So switching gears a little bit to some specifics of how the fund actually operates, some investors may have seen that when we first opened the fund was available to verified and credited investors. And as of our last tranche and moving forward, the fund is also open to self-verified accredited investors. So I think something that's important to note is that this is a, a public fund. And I think, Jimmy, if you could maybe dive into a little bit more detail on our audience rollout and why we're accepting self-verified accredited investors. Great. Thank you, Lindsay. Thank you, Michael. Really appreciate everybody joining us today. To me, the Yield Street Prison Fund is, hits home. I joined Yield Street for one reason, one reason only. I fully believe in our mission of bringing financial independence to all. And the Yield Street Prison Fund is one step closer to that mission. Right? By nature, as Lindsay defined, this product is meant for true retail, everybody across the spectrum. We rolled out initially because our platform legacy has been for accredited investors. As we revamped our platform, the second phase, the second tranche that we opened up, we opened it up to self-verified accredited investors. And soon, stay tuned, we're, we're really excited that this is going to be opened up for everybody in the U.S. Thanks, Jimmy. And 
Another question, some investors may have seen that the Yield Street Prism Fund has a stated distribution rate where other individual investment offerings on the platform have a target annual yield. Could you dive into the differences between the two and what a distribution rate really means? Yep. So a distribution rate, think of if you're a public equity investor, public companies, think Microsoft, think Apple, Google, you know, companies pay dividends. So distribution rate is a synonym for dividend. And bear in mind, our distribution rate is net of all fees, all expenses. So during this ramp up phase, our board has initially set the distribution rate at 7%. And that's based on a set of portfolio construction assumptions. As our portfolio evolves, as Michael referenced earlier with some of the higher yielding products we have, the board is going to revisit the distribution rate every 120 days or so. Actual performance varies per quarter, but based on what we are, where we are today with the 7% distribution rate, an example of if we did 6% in the quarter, essentially you'd get 1.5% back as income and the remaining 0.25% would be a return of principal. In the flip case where we outperform in that intra-quarter, you would still get 1.75% of income as a distribution with the remainder staying in the fund. And due to the requirements of a closed-end fund of paying out 90% of their earnings, at the end of the year, we relook at the performance of the fund and we would have potentially a special distribution in the first quarter of the following year. Thank you for that. Uh, so I believe we also have several investors on the webinar today that are either new to Yield Street are new to funds in general. So, Michael, I, I think it may be helpful to close at least this prepared portion with a little more detail on how the Yield Street Prism Fund could help an investor construct a portfolio. Sure. So, I think we spent a lot of time talking about what we're going to invest in and what some of those elements are and how we're striving to build a portfolio that gives people access to diversification. Maybe what I can offer is the investor experience from two perspectives. Let's talk about a very large investor and a smaller investor. So typically, say an investor had $20,000 that they were willing to invest or that they had available to them to make an investment now. If you were to go on to Yield Street's website and seek to invest in a particular transaction, most likely you would only be able to invest in one deal and in one asset class with $20,000. Whereas that's not really going to help somebody build a portfolio that has diversification to it if that is the amount of capital that they have available at that given time. And with the Yield Street Prison Fund, if you make that same one investment for $20,000, you'll have the same diversification that say somebody with $500,000 invested in by being invested in the fund that is made up of all these different positions. On the opposite end of the spectrum, we've also had a number of clients that are seeking to put very significant amounts of capital, whether it be a million, five million, ten, or if it's an RIA seeking to invest for the benefit of a group of discretionary clients that he or she manages, or a family office, for example. And in the past, similarly, they have not been able to find a way to put a very significant amount of, work, of capital to work at once across multiple investments, because those of you who are familiar, Yield Street will offer different investments at different times. Now, similarly for that investor profile, 
investing any large sum of money in the Oak Street Prison Fund will give them that level of diversification or the ability to seek it through the fund as we continue to invest across the many transactions that we're seeing in the pipeline. So I think that's another perspective, maybe more so from the investor side of how to think about the Oak Street Prison Fund versus some individual investments. I wouldn't say that, you know, one is, quote, better than the other. I think each investor has to determine what it is they're trying to achieve. But for those that are looking to put an amount of capital to work quicker, more easily across multiple investments and strive for diversification across the asset classes that we at Yield Street are focused on, this is a great way to do that. Great. So thank you, Michael and Jimmy, for that, that detail on, on the fund and how it operates. So that concludes the prepared portion. And I want to make sure we leave lots of time to address the live Q&A from InvestorBase. So if you haven't done so already, please take a minute to drop your question into the Q&A and we'll address, address as many as we can in the next 15 or so minutes. So an interesting one coming in is a question on if the Yield Street Prism Fund has any additional oversight outside of Yield Street, which is an interesting question. I think that's something, Jimmy, perhaps you could take. Yeah, great. Great question for whoever sent that in. A phenomenal question. I'm very happy to announce we actually have three independent board members. These gentlemen have an amazing resume. You know, John Siciano former CEO of New York Life Investment Management. That's like a, what, a $400 billion asset management business. Bill Regal, he is the investor of the group. He was a former CIO of the TIA Asset Management, which is another, I think he oversaw close to half a trillion dollars, like T for trillion. Jim Jesse, he was a global co-head of distribution for MFS Investments, another multi-hundred billion dollar fund. You know, overall, I mean, these guys also sit on the boards of the Rockefeller Family Fund, Waddell and Reed. So very large blue chip institutions, Betterment, Avondale Strategies. You know, it's truly an honor and privilege for these gentlemen to be a part of the Yield Street family and a product set we feel so strongly about. I don't want to sound like uh, an Allstate commercial, but, you know, you're in good hands. Michael, do you have anything to add about that? Oh, man, Lindsay. I didn't know Jimmy had those lines on his, uh, <laughs> up his sleeve. I would only add that uh, you may be feeling the same way I felt when we were able to secure these board nominations, which is why are people so experienced with such a pedigree coming to, to Yield Street, which by comparison to their current and prior stints is smaller. And when I spent a lot of time with each of the board members, the common denominator between them was that Yes, I do believe that they very much believe in what we're doing and the potential that Yield Street has to grow. And this could be just like one of the, the other very, very large boards that they sit on. But the common denominator was different. The common denominator here was that they were incredibly passionate about the retail story. The idea of being able to help their next door neighbor get access to what's historically not been available to them and to help people create passive income and to do it in the way that Yield Street is doing it was something that to me struck out as being a common denominator. So, you know, Jimmy, as you said, it's an honor for us to have them. They add a tremendous amount of weight to our group, to myself, you know, 
for me to be able to have a sounding board and a group that's you know looking over governance and how we operate and to provide critical feedback in real time is very, very valuable for myself, but more importantly for Yield Street as a business and for all of us as, as shareholders of the PRISM Fund. Thanks, Michael. Another question I see coming in is asking to clarify the fee structure of the PRISM Fund. So, Jimmy, perhaps you could handle that one. So, the PRISM Fund charges a 1% management fee on invested capital only. So, during this ramp-up phase, anything that's been in cash, there's no fees on. You're just earning sort of the bank rate that we're getting. In addition, there's also a half a percent of what I, it's administrative fee for us to actually pay sort of the, the custodians, the law firms, the fund administrator, the fund accountants. That also isn't charged on cash. That's only charged on invested capital. Thank you. And how will Yield Street be approaching allocating offerings for a general launch on the Yield Street platform versus what would go into the Yield Street Prism Fund? Michael, perhaps you can take that one. Sure. So um, there are two different phases of this. So what we are striving for at the Yield Street Prism Fund is to get what's called co-investment relief approved by the SEC. Now, co-investment relief in the most simple terms would be the ability to take a percentage of every deal that we do and put it into the Prism Fund. And that was really the initial thought process as we were thinking about the simplest way to design the selection process for the Prism Fund versus the platform. And that would help people really and truly get um, a, as much of a diversified exposure as possible because we would simply be taking a piece of every deal that goes in. And we feel that that makes the most sense and takes out any selection bias of any kind. The reality is we need to get a specific approval for that. That is underway and we continue to work towards that. Now in the interim, as we continue to build the Yield Street Prison Fund during this ramp phase, the way we operate is there are a number of constraints and, you know, what's the right way to say this, Jimmy, requirements that we have as it relates from a regulatory perspective on how we put positions into the fund to maintain whether it be diversification or types of assets, et cetera. So what happens is an opportunity will come into the originations team, which is sort of the top of the funnel for us as a business. And as we go through our due diligence process, ultimately the credit committee process, et cetera, we then begin to understand where is the right home for this. Is this best suited in the Yield Street Prison Fund or is it best suited for general distribution through the historical way we've done it? Does it comply with all the requirements of the Yield Street Prison Fund? Is it the right size given that the prison fund is still small and in the ramp phase, say we couldn't do a $25 million transaction in there now, whereas we would be able to on the regular platform as we've been in the past. So there's a lot of consideration that goes in. It's a thoughtful process. And that's a summary of, of ultimately how we go about that. Great. Thank you. And I see lots of questions coming in. So thank you, everyone, for the questions and engagement. Another one here, what is the expected term of the Yield Street Prison Fund? Or said another way, how long should investors expect funds to be committed? Jimmy, maybe you can do yeah. that. Yeah. So the term of the fund is 48 months. After the first 12 calendar months, from initial launch, we will be opening it up on a quarterly basis for up to 5% liquidity. So if roughly 20% of the, the shareholders wanted a liquidity event, it's capped at 5% per quarter. So in year two, if it's simplistically put, in year two, 
up to 20% could be redeemed over that 12-month time frame. Got it. And I'm seeing a few different questions come in around the theme of downside protection and downside risk. So how does the Yield Street Prism Fund differ from investing across the individual investments offered presently? Maybe, Michael, you can re-clarify that. Sure. I think the reality is if a person would have the capital and the ability to invest across a multitude of individual transactions, you will ultimately get the same level of diversification outside of, for example, the bank prefers and the mortgage bonds that the Yield Street prison fund is going to be able to present. Unless there's a transaction that goes into, for example, right now, transactions are not being shared between the platform and the prison fund. So you won't get the exact same exposure because we don't have the co-investment relief yet, but it is the same concept. So for somebody who is looking to build, for example, a rolling portfolio over time, putting X dollars to work in every transaction we launch across the platform, you will be able to solve for your own diversification. I would highlight that because Yield Street Prison Fund is our first fund, as Jimmy just explained, our fee structure is really compelling. So many of our investments on the Yield Street platform have a 2% management fee, for example, which is very much in line with, with the industry and very appropriate. But in the Yield Street Prison Fund, we have a 1% management fee. So you got to look at sort of what are your goals? What is your liquidity at, at a given time? How quickly are you looking to get diversified? Do you want to do active selection? Do you want us as managers to do it on your behalf? And what is your investment horizon in general? When you take all that into consideration, you'll be able to make the decision that's best for you. And we are here to help you think through that decision. If you have questions, email us into the IR team and we're happy to talk to you about it. But I do believe that it is a personal decision. We've built this fund, uh, like I said, because we've gotten a tremendous amount of feedback that people wanted an experience like this. And for those of you who have been with Yield Street for a while, you should be accustomed to the idea of us continuing to try and iterate and build and improve based on our feedback that we get from you. Great. And I'm also seeing some questions around the various phases of the fund that you talked through earlier, Michael. So the ramp phase, investment phase, and, and end of fund. So how long exactly would these different phases last? And will Yield Street only be accepting new investors during the initial ramp phase? So if we could clarify that a little further. Thank you. That's a great question. The ramp phase is going to be probably 12 to 13 months. Then the next phase is where we're deploying the assets and, and harvesting the assets. So that's going to be the remainder of the, call it 30 months. And then the last six months sort of is when the wind down happens and we start returning principal and, and doing distributions back as a investments mature. Thank you. And a few, I know we had talked through a couple examples of what the fund is currently invested in to date in real estate, art finance, and a pending legal finance transaction. A couple investors are asking just for a little bit of extra detail of what art and legal finance are they're not familiar with those asset classes sure so um just for the benefit of all the people that are on here i don't want to take too much time i would offer two things one is if you could um email us at yield street and we'll set up some time for someone to walk you through that and number two is 
if you take a little bit of time to look through some of the content we have on the website where we talk more in more detail about those asset classes, I'll take a minute or two to go over from a macro perspective. So in our art finance business, the objective of that business is to make loans to individuals or entities that have high value art that they are seeking to get some liquidity out of. Now, we don't feel comfortable yet taking a position sort of owning art in the equity. We are more comfortable on the debt side. So for example, if there's a $10 million piece of art, we might lend $4 million on that piece, thinking that we want to be less than 50% loan to value net of commissions and other expenses if you'd have to sell that piece. Now, we traffic in a very specific area of the market, which we're happy to give you more details on. It's usually very high value, looking for artists that have consistently had liquidity. The team is very data-driven, so we suck up all the data from public and private auctions or sales that we can get to create a risk rating system around our portfolio, and that's sort of how we rank our investments. Those loans are typically one to three years. The artists could be things like uh, Picasso, Monet, Kuhn's, Richter, et cetera. So they're not uh, going to be entry-level art pieces by any stretch. And they usually represent you know, less than 5% of any individual or entity's net worth, unless they're in the business of art. In a majority of situations, the art sits in a bonded and insured warehouse under exclusively our control. So we don't have to be concerned about the actual physical pieces running away or having any issues with them. Historically, um, the art finance vertical at Yield Street has been very successful, and we continue to work on finding ways to grow and scale that side of the business. Now, on the legal finance front, I would summarize and say there are a couple of strategies within that asset class. Yield Street has invested in excess of, I believe, $200 million since we started, and it's been a great asset class for us and our investors. High level, there are loans to law firms. There are portfolios of individual commercial cases. There are loans to finance companies that provide micro advances to individuals who have pending cases. We do those loans at 10 to 30% loan to value. Over the years, the asset class has really expanded where a lot of the leaders in the industry or a lot of leaders of the investment industry have gotten in. I personally have been investing in legal finance since uh, about 2009. And it's interesting to see how the asset class has developed, not only with more capital coming in, but also I mentioned that we have principal insurance on our portfolio that, that we just invested in. That particular investment was made in partnership with a dedicated litigation finance fund that has over $350 million under management, the likes of institutional investors, like the biggest banks and pension funds around the country and the world. So those are some, hopefully some anecdotal information on those asset classes. Again, more than happy to have someone on the team spend some more time to educate anyone who's interested. And again, guide you to some of the content we have on the website. Great. Thank you for that. Another question I see from a few different investors on the call is when we first launched the Yield Street Prism Fund BlackRock was involved, and if we could just clarify the relationship and what happened there. Yeah, sure. That's a, that's a very fair question. I'd be happy to clarify. You know, as a platform, we always say we're investor first and transparency is important to us. So um, I definitely think it's important to, to discuss that. So um, I would say that 
you know, let's take a step back as we were conceiving the concept of the fund. Like I said, our initial objective was to say, hey, let's take a percentage of every deal and put it into the fund and therefore really giving people diversification across all the investments that Yield Street does. Now, as we were developing the fund, we learned that there were some of these regulatory challenges to get co-investment relief. And we felt that being able to bring on a partner like BlackRock could be very compelling to be able to have a split to some extent between private liquid credit and public credit with a group that has real expertise in that sector. And we had spent a tremendous amount of time building the fund. The market dynamics were very, very different at that time. So as the beginning of the year started and the markets got a tremendous amount of volatility in them, we had issues around trade discussions with China, we had coronavirus rolling in, we started to have a conversation with BlackRock and a mutual discussion and say, hey, this fund is not really designed to have a tremendous amount of volatility. Is there something that we could do outside of a lot of these public equities and sort of narrow it down to maybe bank preferreds, mortgage, and stuff like that? Ultimately, it was a mutual decision where we realized that given where the market is in COVID-19, the best interest of the fund and its investment strategy and you know, all of us as investors in the fund is to focus on our illiquid alternative investments. Now, there are two important points I would make beyond that. The first is that the, the fact that we recognized together that this wasn't the opportune time to focus on the liquid side of the portfolio definitely does not mean that in the future we won't look to onboard another sub-advisor if the market dynamics change and it becomes apparent that this is, again, the right strategy for the fund. The second component is, I think this very much talks to the sentiment and the way we operate the firm more broadly, which is we're constantly double guessing and double checking ourselves and saying, hey, is this the right approach? I know when we started to put the construct of the fund together 18 months ago, this seemed amazing. And securing BlackRock was an incredible feeling for a business of our size. We made a huge splash about an announcement. But at the end of the day, we're here to serve you and here to serve us as investors. And at the moment, that did not look like it was the right approach. And it continues to feel like investing broadly in equities and in the private uh, liquid markets is not really meeting the investment goals that we have. So together with BlackRock, we decided to mutually cease the sub-advisor agreement. Again, we had not even allocated any capital to them when we did it. So it was fairly seamless to be able to do it, given that they weren't managing any money at the time. So hopefully that gives you uh, more color. That's as much of the story as there is, and I'm happy to be able to share it with you. Thanks, Michael. And I see we're coming up on time, so I'll take maybe one more question. I'm seeing a few questions come in related to how investors will be taxed for participating in the PRISM Fund. Will this issue a K-1 or another document? And how does that work with the dividend reinvestment program that investors can sign up for that would automatically reinvest any dividends paid? So, Jimmy, maybe you can take this one. Yep, great. You'll, the tax is a 1099 form, just similar to if you enrolled in a drip with Microsoft or Apple. You would still have tax on the, the portion of the income that you've actually reinvested back into the fund. But that money's working for you. You're just, you might have a taxable depending on your personal financial situation. Great. Thank you. And as a last question, 
I think, Michael, if you could clarify, there are a couple questions coming in around the tradable securities portion you mentioned as part of, especially during the ramp up phase, if you could clarify further what those actually are and how they'll be utilized in the fund. Sure. So um, what we're not looking to do is invest in equities. We're not looking to bring upon the present fund stock market gyrations. We're specifically designed to have low stock market correlation. What we are looking for are investment opportunities in other forms of public debt. So for example, bank preferreds are debt that let's say a Goldman Sachs or a Wells Fargo or JP Morgan issues a couple of weeks ago that was trading at, you know, five, six percent. That's tightened up now with the rest of the market. Or mortgage bonds, there are fixed coupons there. So we are looking to invest in opportunities where we can earn slightly more or as much as possible more than a simple money market account, especially where rates on money market accounts have gone almost to zero, but also not take on an uncomfortable level of volatility because the objective of the public securities is to eliminate cash drag as you continue to invest in the private liquid credit. So we need to be able to have that money available when we want to do the next deal, be it in litigation finance or real estate or something else. And we do not, at any measure, want to have to be in a position to take a loss because there is a stock market gyration or volatility. So we're looking specifically for a few types of public debt investments that will provide for a coupon, that trade in smaller sizes, that have liquidity to them, and that we believe will have very limited downside protection. Excellent. Thank you, Michael. And unfortunately, we are already over time for our time allocated here and can't get to every question asked. But thank you so much for everyone for your time today, for attending and for your engagement with our Q&A. Um, if anything was unanswered, I do uh, encourage you to reach out to us at investments at yulestreet.com and we're happy to clarify any questions further. I would also encourage you to visit yieldstreetprismfund.com, which will provide more detail on the fund itself, as well as links to other resources and documentation. Can I echo that for a minute? So um, just guys, from my perspective, I see uh, a ton of volume of questions here, and that's great. I'm super thankful that not only are people showing up and, and participating, but that they're actively asking questions and are highly engaged. There are a lot of questions here that uh, are coming in anonymously. There's no question too big or too small. So please do take up Lindsay on her request. Ask your questions that we haven't gotten to. There are several questions um, that are very similar in nature. So maybe if you, if you send in your questions and you give us a couple of days to aggregate them so that we could respond um, to everybody in a timely manner, we'd welcome the opportunity to help give as much clarity as we can for all of you here today. Absolutely. So thank you again, everyone, for joining. We appreciate the time and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Yield. For the latest updates on the alternative investing space, go to yieldstreet.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed the show, feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts as this will help other investors like yourself find our show. If you have any questions, please visit us at yieldstreet.com. 
Thanks again for listening and see you next week. The Yield Street podcast you just heard only reflects the opinions of the host, who is an associated person of Yield Street and does not necessarily reflect the views of Yield Street or any of its affiliates or other associates. The podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be and should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any security and is not an offer or sale of any securities or investment products. The podcast is also not a research report and is not intended to be and should not be construed as investment advice. Support for this podcast comes from Yield Street. Trying to time the stock market can lead to regret. At Yield Street, our alternative investments are designed to create predictable secondary income streams, providing you with tools to help put your money to work immediately. These investments in asset classes like art, real estate, and legal finance typically have low correlation with the stock market and target annual yields up to 7 to 10%. Welcome to the next generation of investing. Welcome to Yield Street. Sign up today at YieldStreet.com.